All right, let's go back to the beginning. We're talking about the mission of God in the sermon series. Uh, How can we turn our mission, your mission, into God's mission and not the other way around? Because I think sometimes we wish we could have it the other way around um, and turn God's mission into our mission uh, and say, God, I really wish life were about what I want it to be about. But God says, no, no, take my mission and make that your mission. Um, and today we're going to look at a scripture that gives a great summary of what is God's mission. So we're going to read that, and then we're going to take a step back and uh, think about what does that life look like if we make that mission our mission. So turn to Luke chapter 4. We're going to start uh, with verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in the synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day went to the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and sat back down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying, Today, this scripture, is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, this scripture uh, tells us what is Jesus' mission, tells us who is Jesus' mission, and then we'll look at how does Jesus' mission become our mission. So what is Jesus' mission? Um, Jesus says here what is Um, what we find throughout the Gospel of Luke. And that is that Jesus came to um, radically reverse the values of society. And values are important, aren't they? I I was thinking about this before the worship service. Uh, Stephen Hughes in our pre-service meeting, just praying. Um, We were praying as a group. He was leading us and just acknowledging the difficult week that it's been and the emotions that people have had throughout this week um, with what has happened in our country and um, the disagreements that we see between people. And you can't say about our current society that we are a people without values or without principles. Now, there may be competing values, competing principles. We may disagree on values and principles, but we can't say that we're unprincipled or people without values. Jesus says, I want to come in and I want to shine light on what are the right values. What are God's values? What are the values that are really important? So we find that all throughout the Gospel of Luke. Jesus come to reverse the values of his society. And let's just kind of connect uh, what we just read with other scriptures in the Gospel of Luke. Um, You remember the story of the angel Gabriel 
announcing the birth of Jesus to Mary. And this is what Gabriel says to Mary. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 32 to 33. He says, uh, Jesus, your son, the child you will bear, will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom, his kingdom will never end. And one of the things that Luke points out is that the birth of Jesus is intimately tied to a coming kingdom that Jesus is going to reign over, and Jesus is now establishing the values that people will see in his kingdom. And now there's a response to this. Uh, Mary, here's this from the angel, she goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth, and Mary sings this song, recites this poem, describing what this kingdom of Jesus is going to be like. So Luke chapter 1, verses 51 through 53. She says, He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. A little bit later, Luke chapter 6, verse 20. Jesus is teaching the crowds. His disciples are there. Crowds are looking on. This is what Jesus says. Uh, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Now, why do we read through these scriptures? Because they show why Jesus said what he said in Luke chapter 4, or the original scripture that we read today. Why did Jesus say that the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to go out and preach the good news to the poor? Why did Jesus say that? Because Jesus understands he's building this new kingdom. And this new kingdom is going to turn the world and the values of the world upside down. So here is Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission was building a kingdom that would completely reverse the values of society. Now, how does Jesus go about building that kingdom? He starts always working from the inside out. Jesus makes an inner change to your heart so that you can go make an outer change to your neighborhood. And in order to have this inner change take place, we have to examine our values. And see, do they line up with Jesus' values? So what do you value? Uh, Some questions to consider. You can write down thoughts um, on your note sheet if you'd like to, uh, to these questions. You can think about them afterwards. But I want you to think through these questions. What do you value? Who, in your mind, is, is on top? Who do you admire? What are the people? Who are the people who are admired in our culture? Um, are they the, the more affluent, the powerful, those who are successful? What is and who are valued? Um, what is valued? Maybe the opportunity to, to pursue what you want, to achieve that success. 
who are valued, people who successfully do that. They can set up for themselves the life that they want. Who do we aspire to be? Do we aspire to be people that um, feel successful in the end, feel, okay, I did it right. I, I got the life that I wanted. I think as a society, we lean towards those as our values. It might not be true of you as an individual, but as a society, I think we lean towards success, accomplishments, um, status, possessions. Now, how does this compare with Jesus' values? So let's talk about who is Jesus' mission, and we'll see his values. Um, so the values of our society, successful, um, accomplished, people with achievements, people with status possessions, do those people make Jesus' list of who gets blessed. Remember he says in Luke chapter 6, blessed are, he lists, who are the blessed ones? Does he say, blessed are the rich and the powerful? That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, in my kingdom, who's going to be blessed? And he says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the oppressed, the hungry, the humble. And you have to ask, why does he say that? Is it because Jesus likes poverty that he says, blessed are the poor? Um, is it because Jesus likes to be walked over that he says, blessed are the humble, the meek? Um, does Jesus say, you know what you need to do? You need to give up all of your power and your status. No, Jesus does not say that. You know, one day a Roman centurion, someone um, who was over 100 Roman soldiers, someone with high status, high accomplishments, high influence, I went up to Jesus. And he asked Jesus, will you heal my servant? I've got a dear friend who's sick and needs healing. And does Jesus say, well, uh, let's see. First, you need to give up all of your power and your influence. You need to resign from your position. That's not what Jesus says. Instead, he says, in this Roman centurion, I have seen more faith than in any Israelite. So it's not that Jesus thinks that being poor or powerless is inherently the way to go. There's something else. There's something else behind, um, or that uh, being poor and powerless may lead to, which Jesus has as a very high value. It's this. It's desperation. Jesus has come for those who are desperate in life. That's the who is Jesus' mission, the desperate. It's not that being poor and powerless is inherently good, but poor, being poor and powerless leads you to desperation. So when Jesus gets before this home crowd in Nazareth, where he grew up, reads Isaiah 61, the scroll that was handed to him, opens up to Isaiah 61, says, this is fulfilled in me. The scripture about proclaiming good news to the poor and 
freeing the oppressed, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. This is fulfilled in me. What is he saying? He's saying, by the way, guys, this scripture is talking about me. And I'm here for the desperate. I'm here for those who feel like they don't have a leg to stand on. I'm here for the poor. I'm here for the suffering. I'm here for the walked upon. If you are desperate in life, you don't have to worry if you are religious enough. You don't have to worry if you have a minimum amount in your earth. That, that you, you don't have to worry whether or not you have a minimum, the minimum amount of dollars in your bank account. In fact, the lower the amount, probably the better, because you will be desperate. When you can't rely on what you have or the status you have to feel good about yourself, you will be desperate. And I have come for those who are desperate in life. That's my mission, and that's good news, that Jesus comes to the desperate. And Luke could have ended the story right there. And that would have been kind of a nice ending, right? Jesus coming to his hometown saying, if you are desperate, I am here for you. Yeah. But instead, Luke has a little more to the story. And if you know the story, you know it has a a pretty interesting ending. Uh, his hometown crowd, starts, they start to question Jesus. Um, he has their attention for sure, but they start to question him. And it's not, it's not a good questioning. It's not in a good way. And in essence, Jesus then says, Oh, well, I suppose that you're going to say to me, Yeah, we've heard some of the fantastic things that you've been doing in these other towns around Galilee, like Capernaum, why don't you do some of those fantastic things right here in your hometown? That seems like a reasonable request, right? And Jesus said, well, let me remind you of something. And then he tells these, these two Old Testament uh, stories recounts them to the Nazareth Nazareth crowd. These two Old Testament stories about God having plenty of opportunities to reach out to God's people, the Israelites, but God doesn't. And instead, he reaches out to outsiders, people outside of the Israelite people. What? Now, what was Jesus' message to his hometown crowd? Was it, Ah, God doesn't really care about you in the first place. No, that's not what Jesus was saying. This was a test. Jesus tests their desperation for him, their true desire for him with their concern for others who are desperate. See, there's a link between the two, your desire for Jesus and your concern for others who are desperate for Jesus. Over and over in the Bible, we see unless your hearts are open to those who are desperate around you, your heart will never really be open to God. That's what we see throughout the scriptures. That's why James uh, can say, chapter 1, verse 27, James says about religion, religion that God our Father accepts, as pure and faultless as this. It's to look after orphans and widows in their distress, those who are desperate, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the values the misplaced values of the world. That's why Jesus can tell this parable, Matthew 25, this parable about people either embracing Jesus or rejecting Jesus. And those who reject Jesus, um, 
say in this parable, wouldn't Jesus? Did we ever reject you? When did we do that, Lord? And Jesus replies, I'll tell you when you did. Whenever you did not do anything for the desperate among you, the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the poor and the naked, the sick and the imprisoned, whenever you have seen people like that and not have reached out to them, you did not do so for me. Jesus is linking your desperation for Jesus with your desire to reach out to those who are desperate around you. That's why God can say, as he does in Isaiah, uh, you question me, why it seems like I've not heard your prayers. That's what God questions his people in, in Isaiah. You fast, you be really religious, but you wonder why it seems like your fasting is not very pleasing to me. And I'll tell you why, and this is what God says. Is this not the kind of fasting, the kind of religion, the kind of religious practice that I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry? Is it not to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked, to clothe them? Do you see all of these desperate people that God, that Jesus is pointing to? And Jesus says, your desperation for me, in part, is measured by your degree, the degree that you reach out to the desperate among you. Now, part of me, and maybe part of you, part of me says to God, God, can't you make my faith a personal thing? Can't you make my faith just between me and you? I mean, right here. I mean, can't you, can't you do that, God? Can't, can't I treat my faith as just this personal thing between me and you? Can't I treat this worship song that I'm singing on Sunday morning just you know, a, between me and you, like I'm loving you, God, and you're promising to take care of me? Can't, can't we make my faith just about this, this, this relationship with you? Can't all this stuff about serving those desperate around me, can't that be just like an add-on to the faith? Like, I have this, this is my faith, and maybe I can add this other component to it, reaching out to the desperate um, around me, like it's an optional thing. I mean, part of me wants to do that. And then I read the scriptures, and I hear God's answer to that. And God says, no, it's not an add-on. Reaching out to the desperate among you is not an add-on to your faith. And here's what happens. Back to the Nazarite people that his hometown crowd that Jesus is preaching to. When Jesus reminds them of God reaching out to the outsiders in their ancient history, they could have said something like this. Okay, Jesus, we get it. We get it. We get it that you are concerned for the, the poor, the outsiders among us. We get it. Um, and that's great. And if you want to go reach out to them, to the outsiders, Jesus, you, you go do it. You go do it. More power to you. 
That's not what happens in the story, though. That is not their response to Jesus. Jesus' mission is so contrary to their set of values that they become filled with rage, and they try to throw Jesus off a cliff. His hometown crowd, right then and there, tries to kill this, this little Jewish young man that grew up in their midst. I thought about that, just that crazy response. Why is that crazy response in there? Why did Luke write that, that little end of the story? Why did he tell that? Jesus given this, this nice message, hey, I'm going to reach out to the poor, and the, Nazareth, the, the people of Nazareth saying, yeah, we're going to throw you off a cliff. And I think it's this, to show that there is no middle ground in our faith when it comes to reaching out to the desperate around us. There's no middle ground. Um, there is no nice patronizing of Jesus. Oh, Jesus, that's a great little mission that you have. You go do it. We'll cheer you on. You either embrace Jesus' kingdom that he's bringing in, or you try to live in the world's kingdom with its prizes of success and achievement and status and privilege and that getting ahead value, personal gain value. One of those kingdoms you're going to want to live, you're going to try to live in, you're gonna, you're, and you will succeed in living in Jesus' kingdom or the kingdom of the world. And I think... Luke tells this full story to show us there's no middle ground, there's no middle kingdom. And here's the day. If you don't want to be a part of Jesus' kingdom, you can live in the world's kingdom, but sooner or later, Jesus' kingdom will be all that there is. He's setting up his kingdom, and sooner or later, Jesus' kingdom will be all that there is. And if you're not living in Jesus' kingdom one day, you will find yourself homeless. So how does Jesus' mission become our mission? I want to live in Jesus' kingdom. How, how, do we, how do we embrace what we think is a nice mission for Jesus? and make it our own and say, oh, this is not just a nice mission. This is our mission. So I think there's three things that we need to reverse. Jesus came to reverse values. I think there's three things to reverse, um, at least that I think of this morning. One, um, reverse back to your childhood sense of adventure. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. Uh, when you were a kid, when someone asked you, what do you want to be when you grow up? You remember what you said? Uh, you, you might have said, if you're a boy, I want to be a, I don't know, I want to be a policeman, I want to be a fireman. Um, I don't know what girls say, quite honestly. Nurse, teacher, doctor. Um, you know what? You know what? I, I don't think any uh, fourth or fifth grader has ever said, what do you want to be when you grow up? 
you know what? I want to work a desk job. I want to sit behind a desk and just file papers, you know. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That's a great job. But it's not what a fourth or a fourth or, or a four or five year old thinks of, right? That's a great job. Please put me behind a desk and give me some papers to file. But as a four year old, I'm not thinking that. Um because I think there's this sense of adventure that we have when we are children that we have this opportunity to do something with our life, to help others out, to make our life about feeding into someone else and making life better for them, be on a rescue mission. we got to recover that, this sense that, oh, God's got a, a mission and a purpose for me to go out and rescue people who are desperate. And what Jesus, think about what Jesus shared about himself um, in reading this, this scripture that we read in Luke chapter 4. Uh, chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus says, The Holy Spirit sent me to go out on a rescue mission, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He sent me, sent me out on a mission. That word sent is the word that we get the word apostle from. It means an ambassador. It means God says, go out and represent me. Go out. Be public. I'm sending you out into the public arena, to the people. God sends us out on a rescue mission to do what Jesus did. Go to the desperate. So recover the sense of adventure. Second thing to reverse. Uh, Reverse your attitude towards your time. It kind of goes hand in hand with that first one. Um, It's hard to feel like I'm going out on this rescue mission if I'm not spending any time reaching out to those in need around me. Come on, if we want to measure our values, one of the ways we do that is we look at our time, right? How do you spend your time with those who are in need and who are desperate? Three, uh, reverse your attitude towards your money. What does Jesus mean when he says he's here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor? There's a story in Leviticus. It's not a story. It's a command. It's, a, it's an instruction. It's, it's a way of life. That God sets out in Leviticus chapter uh, 25. Um, In the Old Testament, there was a year of such liberation from oppression. A year of such grace and generosity. I mean, it was the year of the Lord's favor. It It was known as the year of Jubilee. Written about in Leviticus chapter 25. On the 50th year, here's what happened all land in Israel would return to its previous original owners. So if you fell upon hard times and had to sell away your land to pay off your debts, now you don't have land or you don't have as much land. Um, In order that families would not fall into this, this generational poverty or homelessness, 
God said on the 50th year, I'm canceling all debts. You're going to cancel all debts. All land was returned to its original owner. It's just this wonderful land, uh, year of grace, generosity, liberation from oppression. Now, you think, wow, that's a pretty huge sacrifice for landowners, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're basically having to take their land and say, oh, I'm giving it back to you. Wow, that's a huge sacrifice, except it wasn't. And here is why it wasn't. We need to shift this value, shift this attitude towards our possessions. Here's what God says. This is why it's not a big sacrifice. Uh, Leviticus chapter 25, 23. The land must not be sold permanently. It's going to be given back on the year of Jubilee, the 50th year. Why? Because the land is mine, God says. And you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. How do you like that? God just saying, you know what? It's mine to begin with, and you're just living here. So you're not giving back your land. You're giving back my land. And we have to realize all of our stuff does not belong to us, really. It is, it's God's. And you might say, no, wait, 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 wait. I mean, I, I work hard. I'm one of those hard workers. I work really hard in life. And I worked hard for this job and for this income. That may be true. But the opportunities that you had to go to this good college that you went to, instead of dropping out in the eighth grade to work some field farming so that you could help provide for your family, or the intelligence that you were born with, those were not things that were up to you, right? You received those from God. You had no control over that. That was all God. God is the one that gives us the ability to earn wealth. So we have to realize, although we have, it is God's. It's not that big of a sacrifice to invest in those who are desperate around us because we are using God's stuff, God's money possessions. So we have to be generous with what God has given us. Uh, you might think of another reversal of value that is, that is needed for you to really lift up the desperate around you. So I want to take a look at the note sheet at the bottom. There's one value shift for 2021 on your, your sermon, the bulletin note sheet. Um, think of one way, one value you think needs reversing in your life. And start with that one for 2021. Could be one of those three things. Reversing how you see your life, how you see your time, how you see your money, or maybe another reversal of values that you know Jesus is speaking to you to reverse that this year so that you can make your mission God's mission. And a fourth thing to do that, I think we, we're going to end on this because I think it's probably the most important one, and it's this. You need to aspire to be desperate for Jesus. Because the truth is, Jesus carries out the ultimate reversal with his life. I mean, he became poor. He was born into a poor family. He lived a peasant life in many ways. He became hungry. He did all those things, not because 
He thought, boy, being poor is great. He did that so that you could become rich. He become he became oppressed. He became wrongly arrested and beaten and whipped by guards. Not because he thought, oh, I love to get stomped on. No, he did that. He died on a cross so that you could be freed from your oppression to sin and the guilt of sin. He died empty, without a single possession, on the cross. Empty even of, of God. God, God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried out. He became empty so that you could be filled with hope and peace with God. He was made lonely, rejected by everyone, even his closest friends. His disciples rejected him. He was made lonely so that you could know that you are a friend of God. I mean, this incredible reversal that Jesus gives to us, this ultimate reversal. He did it because he was on a mission, a rescue mission for you. He has given you grace upon grace upon grace so that we now can be gracious to others. So remember your desperation for Jesus. And then reach out for this world. Reach out to this world that is desperate for Jesus. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, We thank you so much that you have reached to each and every one of us. The truth is you, you do care deeply about us. And whatever circumstance we come to you in, either poverty or wealth, little influence, high influence, um, rejected, accepted, however we come to you this morning, you care deeply about us. And you, you call us to be in this relationship with you. But, Father, we commit ourselves to others around us because we know that our relationship with you, it's not just this one-on-one relationship. It, it includes our this calling that you put in our life to, to care for others. There is much work to be done regarding that, Lord. We know. So we pray that you would make an opportunity for us to maybe begin small in reaching out to the poor, the underprivileged, the under-resourced, the oppressed, um, the, the desperate among us, the hungry among us. Help us start off small. Help us to grow big in the way that we reach out in love and compassion and in generosity. But we commit ourselves to you, to that mission today. In Jesus' name, amen.